This is the Investor Mindset Podcast, and I'm Stephen Pesavento. And for as long as I can remember, I've been obsessed with understanding how we can think better, how we can be better, and how we can do better. And each episode, we explore lessons on motivation and mindset from the most successful real estate investors and entrepreneurs in the nation. Investor Mindset listeners, welcome back to another great episode. Just got done interviewing Mike Hambright. And uh, you guys will know him from FlipNerd.com, Investor Fuel, a number of other companies that he's worked with and founded. And uh, he's an incredible investor. But what I really love about this episode is we get into a topic that's so close to my heart, so important for investors at all levels, and that is confidence and how to get over that confidence hump. And we're going to dive in to understanding exactly what to focus on, how to get your mind in the right position so that you can really take your business to the next level. Or if you're just getting started, you can get that first deal done or take on that new challenge. So without further ado, I want to remind you guys, please go drop us a five-star review on iTunes. Go hit subscribe. Make sure you're getting these episodes as they come out automatically. If you like to watch videos, go check them out on YouTube. And finally, wanted to announce and let you guys know about the Investor Mindset Summit, which is going to be happening November 1st and 2nd. It's going to be free to those people who go and head to theinvestormindset.com and join the Insider Club, our mailing list. Those people who are in the mailing list are going to get the information first, and we're going to have a free registration for those folks. We're really excited. We've got some fantastic speakers from around the real estate industry. We're going to be talking about personal development for real estate investors in the context of wholesaling, flipping, and multifamily. So you're going to hear from some of the best experts on exactly how they've been able to build their business, some of the specific tactics and strategies that they used in real estate, and some of the personal development strategies, some of the mindset strategies that help them get out of their own way so they can truly succeed and go to the next level. So without further ado, let's jump into this next episode. All right, guys, welcome back to the Investor Mindset Podcast. I am very excited. I have Mike Hambright in the studio this morning. How are you doing, Mike? I'm great. How are you, buddy? I'm doing well. I'm excited because most of you guys know Mike, but if you don't, Mike is a professional real estate investor, mentor, and coach that has bought and sold hundreds of houses and mentored others that have bought thousands of properties. While he loves rehabbing houses, watching the transformation and working through the challenges, what he loves most is the flexibility and freedom that investing provides to his family. And he helps do that for other people. He's the founder of the flipnerd.com, real estate investor VIP show, web-based interview series, and so many other podcasts. So I won't even tell you all about him. I'm going to have Mike tell you about him, but you ready to get into it, Mike? Let's do it. Let's do it, my friend. All right. <laughs> so obviously you've hit some success. You've done hundreds of renovations. You've done so much in your career. But why don't we start out by taking a look back? What events or influences from your childhood shaped who you are today? From childhood, yeah. It's interesting because I, I talk about this a, a lot, you know, because we do a lot of coaching. Mentoring. I do a podcast and, um, and I talk a lot. I've been talking a lot more about mindset type stuff and lessons learned and things this year. And, um, you know, I would say from childhood, a little interesting kind of tidbit about me is uh, I grew up in Illinois. In fact, we were up there this summer for a while with my family. And everybody in my family is still left in the same kind of town. I'm like the only uh, really? the only center that's left there. And I, I live in the Dallas, Texas area now. In fact, I moved here from Chicago about 20 years ago. And so we, lo- we love it here. Um, but my family was very blue collar. My dad worked in a factory. My mom worked a whole bunch of odd jobs before she eventually uh, became a nurse. And um, 
my grandparents worked in a factory. And so it's kind of interesting because I'm, I'm the anomaly. I'm the one person that is an entrepreneur. Nobody in my family was ever an entrepreneur. They always were kind of blue collar physical labor working for somebody else. And my wife says that all the time. Like what, what's different? Like how do, why are you different than your family? And it's not bad or good, right? It's just different. Right. And so uh, I would say, sir, I don't, I don't know the answer to that actually, but what I do know is that what I developed uh, growing up was a solid work ethic. So most of the people in my family thought that you get ahead by working harder, right? Uh, physically or like yourself. And, you know, you and I know that that really is not the answer. Uh, but I do have a solid work ethic that I can definitely tie back to, to watching my dad and my mom and all everybody around me just be a hard worker. Right. Yeah. And so I choose, I mean, th these hands are, there's some jokes about how soft my hands are and some of the circles I run in because I've flipped hundreds of houses, but I, I've never, you know, I don't touch a hammer or anything. Uh -huh. So, uh, which in my perspective is you shouldn't yeah. like, that's, that's not the business. The business is helping people and solving problems and finding those opportunities. So you grew up in a blue, a blue collar household. You learned yeah. hard work from an early age. But where do you think this came from for you to decide, hey, I'm going to take this risk and step out onto my own and not follow the set path? Yeah. You know, some of it was um, after uh, I went to college, I was the first person in my family to go to college and um, worked in a couple of jobs. I was a finance major, so worked in a couple of jobs. I, You know, at the time I thought I'm going to be working on Wall Street and it's going to be really sexy. You know, I ended up working for a huge bank in Chicago, but let's just put it this way. There was nothing sexy about it. Like I'm just a desk jockey, like putting check marks next to things. It just, it wasn't sexy, you know? And uh, that took a little while for me to realize like, wow, is this, is this what I worked so hard for? Is this what I went to college for? And so bounced around to a couple of jobs like that. Um, and uh, then I decided, well, maybe what I really need is to go get more formal education. So I went back to grad school uh, here in Texas, University of Texas, I went into the MBA program, which is a highly rated MBA program. And, um, you know, everybody was getting out and investment bankers, people working for McKinsey and Bain, like, you know, top tier consultant, consulting firms. And that's kind of what I thought I wanted to do just because I saw that those people were making a lot more money. It yeah. was really kind of more money. It was about money at that point. It was more like, I want to make more money. Like, why wouldn't, why, I want, give me some of that, you know, uh, without necessarily what do I want to do? with my life. Right. And I, a lot of people I think are that way. You just like chase the money because you assume if I make more money, then I can enjoy my life more. And that I can, I just know now that that is not always the case. So it, it's, it's definitely not the, I, I just want to jump in there. It's definitely not the yeah. case, but it's so easy for us to believe that it's all about the money because it seems like, yeah. especially, I don't know about you, but I grew up without money. It sounds like blue collar family. There's probably some of that there it seemed like money yeah. was the solution to the problem, but then all of a sudden you get some yeah. money and you realize you still got the same problems. You're <laughs> right. have money with those problems. Yeah. Yeah. And I think when you, when you, especially when you work for somebody else, like they're paying you more money largely because they have higher expectations on you mm -hmm. and what you're willing to do, the amount of time you're willing to invest in, in their business. Right. And so when somebody's paying you a lot more money, they expect you to, well, Hey, that 40 hour work week thing, that that's for, that's for, uh, that's for losers. Like you need to be doing 80 hours. They may not say that, but the expectation is whenever I call on you, you're, you're going to jump, you know? Yeah. And so in corporate America, I mean, that, that's my experience. Totally. And so, and, and, and even if it, they don't say that, 
it's that culture that you see of like that guy got ahead because he worked really hard and I need to outwork him if I want to succeed like that. Right. And so it's just this culture. It's counterintuitive to what I believe now, which is way more about working smarter Mm -hmm. (laughs) and trying to find ways to get your time back. Not like, how can I spend less time with my family because I need to spend more time at work so I can make more money so I can probably work more. Right. (laughs) It's just like this never ending cycle. So where did the shift come from work harder, which is what you grew up believing to work smarter which is now what you train and teach other people to do. Yeah. So, so the, the short version of the story is um, I had, I got out of grad school and I got what I often refer to as my dream job. It was like a job that any, anybody would love to have uh, just cool as hell uh, and got to do some amazing things. And then I got fired one day and I got fired because my boss got fired and I was his guy. And so um, and then I went to another corporate job. And after working hard for about 18 months, that company filed for bankruptcy and my son was just born. So it was this realization of like, I've spent my whole life educating myself to, to try to appeal to some, that somebody else would want me, right? Like think that I'm worthy. Like I had to prove to them through education that I was worthy and through my work ethic. And then I don't have any control anyway. Like I just lose my job, lose my job. And it's like, I need, I need more control over this. And I'd always been entrepreneurial, uh, but I just really never done a whole lot about it. And that was kind of the beginning of, okay, I, I need to take control over my family now. It's getting real basically. So I was like, you know, uh, I'm the, my wife and I've been married for a couple of years, but we had a new baby and it was like, all of a sudden I just, it's like, I grew up like five years over like a month period of like, okay, I got to I got to take care of my family now. Yeah, it's like an instant realization that all of a sudden you couldn't do the things that like like you you thought that you had all the security but it really wasn't there. That's right. Yeah, it can get removed in an instant, right? And and the truth is is I think it's some some of it is a early on it was a business maturity thing and now it's just you know, uh as you get older, you just it's you just there's a there's just a general maturity thing too of like am I doing what I want to do with my life. Yeah. So tell us a little bit more about what it is that you are doing these days. Obviously you've done a lot, um, but what's, yeah. what's the focus in your, your world today? Yeah. I mean, you know, I still do deals. I'm doing some uh, multifamily deals now. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I say more than anything, I'm, I do a lot of coaching and mentoring and advising through our investor fuel uh, mastermind mm-hmm. that we just actually finished up uh, last week and uh, for the quarter. And, um, uh, you know, at the end of the day, I think one of the things that I that I missed when I started in real estate investing, which we worked hard for years to crank. I mean, we were flipping 60, 70 houses a year for a number of years, like just cranking, right? And doing it the hard way. We were mostly rehabbing everything. Mm-hmm. And, um, but what started to happen early on is I realized like it was just my wife and I, and we had a couple of different admins, a couple of acquisitions people, and people that were kind of would come and go. But at the end of the day, you know, one of the things about that I missed about corporate America or college or grad school was the social aspect of it. Uh-huh. And so here we are in a foxhole working on our business and, um, and started doing really well. But it's like, we don't have any friends to talk to. Like even my friends that were outside of real estate investing, like they don't want to hear my stories or, or they want to hear it once or twice. And then they're kind of like over it. Right. Yeah. And so we, we weren't surrounded by people like us. Um, so then I started coaching and mentoring. It's kind of gone on from there about just being able to teach what we know to other people 
And even now I advise, I advise people in real estate investing in our mastermind that are way more accomplished than me actually from a real yeah. estate standpoint, but we have an equal amount of arrow wounds in our back and experiences to talk through things and figure sure. things out. Uh, that makes sense. So no, it totally makes a lot of sense. And it seems like yeah. a natural progression that after being so experienced and then wanting to find some fulfillment, sharing that experience with other people. So I'm curious, are you still are you still closing and flipping deals yourself yep. these days? I am, yeah. Not as not as many as in the past because we have so many other things going on, but uh definitely still active. Um and uh, the new thing really over the past year is being an investor in some multifamily deals as well, because we have a rental portfolio of single family houses, which is, is great. But when I look back now, and it probably most real estate investors have this happen, you look back and you're like, especially after the past, let's say five years with appreciation and, and things like that, you look back and you're like, wow, I, I wish I had a do over. So instead of, you know, this many, I could have way more. Yeah. Um, and so it just seems now to build wealth in order to move the needle faster. For me, uh, we're focused more on multifamily stuff for, for wealth building reasons. Yeah, no, it makes sense. You get the economies of scale that start coming into play. You're able to buy right. many more units with, with the same amount of work as buying a couple right. units. And, and, part, and part of it too is I have some really good friends that yeah. are dominant in that space. And so it's easy for me to just kind of plug in to say, I'll work with you, right? I'm, you know, I didn't go learn how to do everything in multifamily like I did in single family. Yeah. Um, just like I coach and mentor people and I believe very heavily in joint ventures and collaboration. Mm -hmm. It's like, well, I believe in it so much that I do, if there's something that I like that I'm interested in, I don't go necessarily, I don't have to go learn yeah. how to start from scratch and climb the learning curve over many years. I can just plug into somebody else that already knows that. Yeah. Yeah, that makes sense. So I know a lot of people here have coaches. You know, a lot of our listeners have coaches, whether that's a personal development type coach, somebody who's helping them reach to the next level, whether that's somebody who's training them on the specific tactics of flipping or wholesaling or multifamily or, you know, anything in between. But I know there's a lot of people who have some limiting beliefs on that front. People who think, well, I don't need to get any of that help. I, eh. What would you say to those people? And what do you think they might be holding themselves back from by having that belief? So if you're new, if you're new or newer and you're just getting started, for example, um, you know, a lot of people, uh, it's, uh, it's, it's, it's a matter of time. Like, do you want to start from scratch and learn everything on your own? Like, I guess the question is, what will it cost you to have to learn all those lessons on your own and start from scratch? And are you likely to get discouraged and quit before you ever find that level of success, which is what happens to most people. I mean, the majority of people starting off in real estate investing fail, like yeah. 90% plus fail. And, and, and I, I don't have any like stats to prove this or back this up, but from my experience, I would tell you that the majority of them fail having never even done a single deal. They just get defeated in their mind because mm -hmm. things aren't happening fast enough whether it's the HGTV shows or social media or whatever, it leads people to believe that this business is easier than it actually is. And it's not easy. It's, this is a hard business to get started mm -hmm. in. And, you know, for, so from a coaching perspective, I would say uh, you can learn from somebody like me. There's a lot of great coaches and mentors out there, uh, but you can learn, you know, uh, 11 years of experience and hundreds of deals done uh, in a way shorter time than 11 years by yeah. 
listening to somebody that's been through those lessons before. And, uh, you know, and for, and truthfully for me, for whether it's investor fuel or mastermind or any of the things that we do, I'm very, very big on community. So I never tell everybody, Hey, I'm all knowing, come listen to me. Like I'm not Yoda, uh -huh. but I have some wisdom. And, and if you can't tell from the camera that this hair is a little more gray <laughs> than it used to be. So there's a lot of lessons learned, but I believe very heavily in joining our communities because people can share ideas and this happened to me, what should I do? And other people chime in and learn together. So kind of together, all boats rise. And uh, so, you know, find somebody else like that. I would say that there are some other coaching type programs or programs out there where they would never put you in a community because they know everybody's just going to complain about how bad the program is. Yeah. And so uh, some of the big, the big national ones are like that. Like they would never say, Hey, welcome to this community of hundreds of people or dozens of people because they don't want it to be a bitch fest. Ours is like the first thing we do is welcome this person into our community and let's all help each other out with however we can. And I found in my experience that that's the power, right? When you have some one-to-one yeah. -one training and teaching and you're able to learn directly from somebody, yes, that is valuable because they can help answer the questions that you'd have to figure out on your own. But when you're surrounded by all these other people, all of a sudden you get this feeling like, well, hey, if, if he or she can go and do it, like I can do it too. And I can go to yeah. that next level and it's, it's much easier to kind of like make those big changes and continue to stick in it because it might be a simple business, but it sure is hard, no matter what you're talking about yeah, in real no estate. Doubt. Um, no doubt. So what is it that you think, you know, in your experience coaching and training and teaching and mentoring and working with all these people, um, what is it that you think that leads to people failing and giving up? Um, because you've seen it a lot. You're saying 90% you know, of people yeah. are giving up, and I've seen it too. <clears throat> Yeah. I mean, I think, so if we kind of say for kind of newbie coaching, let's say, which is different than our, our, our masterminds for experience. I mean, we have people in our investor fuel mastermind that are doing hundreds of deals a year. So, um, I think it's, you, you have to get over this, uh, confidence hump that this is possible, but there's a lot of people that I found that, um, they just don't want it bad enough. They may have the money for a program. They may be willing to invest. It's kind of like a gym membership. Like some people uh, might go join a gym and they have uh, the tag on their keychain, right? And like, well, I could go at any time, but they rarely go. Mm -hmm. But it's like, I feel like I am kind of moving down that path because it's on my keychain, but I never go. It's like, it's just like anything. Like if you don't put the work in, you're not going to see any results. Yeah. And so you know, I think there's some people that legitimately have issues where life gets in the way, uh, because it does, but there's some people that, uh, are more prone to say that life is in the way, or I just can't get to it. And they allowed that to happen. Mm -hmm. Right. They, they allowed life to get in the way. They might like come home from work and they can't miss that TV show that's on or whatever. And it's like, but you didn't have time to focus on your business or on your health or whatever it is, but you can plop down on the couch and do this. It's like, well, I love that show. It's like, okay, well, it just shows you where your priorities are. And so, you know, I think a lot of people, it's an, truthfully, it's, it's mindset stuff, right? Totally. It's stuff that is between your ears that's telling you you can and you can't. I mean, I see it all the time. That's why, like you just said, when we're in our communities, there are people in there, truthfully, there's people in my coaching communities that have been in there for years and they love it. They're like, I learned this, and I want to share back with what I know with other people. And it's like, how did that guy do it? Or how did that woman do it? They were no different than you. Uh -huh. Like what is different for them, right? 
And so anyway, that's a, I'm kind of rambling at this point, but I think it's, it's just mindset. Like how bad do you really want it? And are you taking the steps to get you closer to what your goals are? Yeah, I, I couldn't agree more. And how do you think people get over that confidence hump? Because that seems to be a big thing, right? They, they don't want it bad enough, but maybe they want it, but they don't believe they can have it. I think those are two, two major problems I've seen where people are just not committed like anybody can do this stuff if they just really commit to it fully. But how have you kind of coached yeah. people to get over that, that fear of not being able to do it? I mean, I would say in our, uh, in our coaching program, for example, that is one of the ways that we try to help people get over that is to pull people in that were past students or, you know, uh, that because that, sometimes people look at me and I'm not saying this from a place of ego. I mean, I have so much yeah. learning and growth to do myself, but they're like, oh, you've been doing it for 11 years. Mm-hmm. It's easy for you. Or the market's different now than when mm-hmm. you started and it's harder now. And therefore, you know, the results would be different if you started now. Or people just find reasons to like convince themselves that that uh, they don't have to be successful. It's weird. We, we sabotage ourselves in so many ways, you know, but that's why we pull in people that have come in in a shorter period of time, had similar situations and um, can show like these are different case studies and examples of other people that were like more like you or more recent or whatever it might be that have overcome these obstacles. I mean, even in our mastermind investor fuel, you've got people like RJ Bates and Jamie Woolley, people that over mm-hmm. the past three years have just blown up in. And, and at the same time, there's people that I've known for 10 or 20 that have been operating in my same market because I'm in the same market as those guys. Yeah. For, for way, way longer. And they like got out of business because like it just doesn't work anymore or whatever. It's like, okay, well, why are they different than you? And I tell you why it is. It, it was, they wanted it. They wanted it more than you did. You weren't willing. Somebody moved your cheese and you didn't follow, yeah. you know? No, that, that's, that's so true. So what are some of your, uh, what are some of the biggest challenges in your life today, Mike? You know, uh, my single probably biggest challenge is that I have too much opportunity around me. I've chosen to surround myself with people that are crushing it in every area of real estate investing or business. And so there's lots of opportunities for me to do things and chase shiny objects. And I'm getting, I'm, I'm a, I'm a recovering addict, let's say I'm getting better at it, but it's, it's really is the, probably the biggest challenge I'd say is to say no mm-hmm. to opportunity. And, uh, I genuinely, I genuinely love and want to help people in more ways and I am attracted entrepreneurially to opportunities uh, and the opportunity to make money because I, I think the money is a great tool to serve what I do and my beliefs and all that stuff. So you know, it's really kind of saying no to things and staying focused on the things that I do now that I love the most. And when you have all these opportunities, all these things coming in, how do you stay focused and decide that this is my one thing or this is my my focus right now and I got to say no to everything yeah. else because there's so many opportunities that maybe one of these is actually 10 times better. How do you go through right. that process and decide? So what really helped me is about 18 months ago, we went through an EOS implementation if you've read the book mm-hmm. Traction. And, um, and for the first time, I'd say really, so I should say this, my wife and I started our business together she has been ingrained in this for a long time. And so it was always her and I, and we had, you know, we had team members, but for a long time, the team members were, I didn't allow them necessarily to have input into our business. They were just doing the tasks that we had to do, let's say. And mm-hmm. so, you know, from a business maturity standpoint, when we went through the EOS thing, I said, Hey, let's, let's define our culture together. Like let's, 
let's figure out some of our goals together. And I have ultimate authority to override any of that stuff, of course, but I've kind of allowed my team to hold, hold me accountable and help me hold myself accountable. So now, and we have, so basically part of the EOS process, we have a, what's called a level 10 meeting every Wednesday at, uh, at 1030, we have an EOS meeting and we, we have a scorecard that we follow and we go over tasks and issues and stuff that are happening in the business. And um, they have full authority now that if I get shiny objects in or I'm off the reservation, they'll call me out and just say, Hey, that's, you know, is that, is that on strategy right now? Yeah. Like, that doesn't sound like that's what we talked about. And so, you know, every 90 days we can reevaluate goals and come up with new ideas. And so for the most part, I've enabled people on my team to help rein me in a little bit. So, so, so in this strategy here, what you've done is you put a structure in place with some people to hold, help hold you accountable to the goals together. Right. 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 Yeah. That makes, that makes and sense. And now what I do is, you know, as a creative thinker or um, a visionary, if you will, mm-hmm. and some of new ideas is I just innovate when I have ideas or whatever, I try to innovate inside of the silos that we've defined that we're going to focus on, which is our coaching our masterminds or, yeah. or my housekeeping business or whatever. So I kind of try to say, Hey, I'm not going to go become a goat farmer or whatever. Like I'm going to spend those that, that energy yeah. innovating inside of what we're already doing. So to make it real for our mindset listeners, I think the takeaway here is that if you're gonna if you're gonna be in a situation where you're there's always gonna be shiny objects, but if you commit yourself to something and then share it with other people around you, so that there's kind of that social pressure that this is what I'm focused on. You know. So that way you don't go from well I'm gonna get started in wholesaling and then you kind of go down the wholesaling route and then you're like well I want to actually flip this house then you kind of go down the flipping route then you're like oh actually multifamily looks really good I mean then you go down the multifamily route. So many investors that I meet are going down this path and I've been yeah. you know pulled in that direction. It really helps to get some clarity on exactly what that focus is and share it with others so that they can call you and be like what are you doing? Yep. No doubt, no doubt. Yeah. Yeah, so like I said, I'm just really impressed by what you've been able to do. Why do you think you've been able to succeed where so many others in the industry have given up and failed? I guess it's, uh, you know, probably back to the work ethic part. And, and, And there's a lot of people like this, but I think it was from losing my jobs and maybe the work ethic that I was raised with is like, it's hard to beat me. Like I don't give, I don't give up. And so, and you know, a lot of times people look at, and, and you've made some compliments and I appreciate that I'm on success, but I can tell you there's a lot of failures too. There's a lot Absolutely. of mistakes, a lot of laying awake at night, like grieving on things, like all those things have happened. Right. And so I think it's um, a combination of on some things, knowing when to quit and just saying, it's a sunk cost. I'm done. I'm moving on. Uh, and on some things saying, hey, I might have failed 10 different ways now, but I've learned from that. And, you know, I'm going to just kind of fail forward, if you will. And it's like, so not everybody sees the failures and stuff. And yeah. and I'm not necessarily trying to hide those things. I'm pretty open about mm-hmm. those things. But, you know, it's not like I'm going live on social media and saying, hey, let me, let me tell you the bad thing that happened today. And most people aren't doing that. Yeah. And it's not that I want to hide it. It's just I want to move on. Yeah. Right. And so, I don't know, I'd say that uh, it's just kind of relentless unwillingness 
to fail. So you won't let that failure knock you down. But when you do fa- face that failure, I mean, what goes through your head, right? You're laying up at night, you're thinking, hey, I just lost all this money or this thing didn't work out the way I wanted to or this employee or team member didn't do what they're supposed to. And now there's consequences. Like, how do you deal with that? Yeah, I think it kind of, it forces me to kind of go back to say strategically, is this something that I should have been doing anyway? Mm -hmm. There's some things that we've just said, why are we even doing this? Mm -hmm. Like, why am I trying to, you know, do a certain thing? Um, And kind of, it helps having gone through the level 10 stuff and really defining like, these are our core values. Uh These are our pillars. Like, these are the things that we focus on. If it's, if it's a core pillar and something that is our, is our uh, focus in the business, then it's just a matter of talking through why didn't that work? How are we going to do it differently next time? And, and finding a way forward. If it's, if it comes into question of like, why are we doing that anyway? Then sometimes we might just stop doing it. And, and, and the truth is, is, you know, I just uh, actually recorded a podcast uh, today in my car before I got here on my phone, which I've been doing more of that. Huh. And it was around focusing more on what you get to do versus what you have to do mm-hmm. and kind of the blessings I have in business that I get to, I get to do more things now that I want to do. In the past, I had to do things because I wasn't in control. And so I think I look back to that um, and think of, is that something that I even want to do? Like, there's certain things that we've done that I've cut a business loose or just shut it down mm-hmm. that on a P&L looked good. Yeah. Like, it's a good business, you know, or that do more of that. Yeah. But it wasn't necessarily a source of joy yeah. for me, right? Or it was too big of an opportunity cost. It's like, that makes money, but just imagine we took that effort and put it over here, yeah. what we could do. And so there's some of that. I mean, the truth is, is when you get to a point in your business where you don't necessarily have to do things anymore, it's not really about money. Like I'm not, I'm not in survival mode anymore. Uh-huh. I don't have to work as hard as I want, as I once did. So I want to focus more on doing the things that I want to do. And so I think if it's something that I want to do, failure will not keep me down. If it's something that I'm questioning whether I even want to do that anymore, I'm more likely to say, Hey, that failure was a sign that I just shouldn't be doing that anymore. That, that really hits home. I mean, it's so powerful to be reminded that you know it's okay to stop doing something it's okay to make all this progress on a path and have success and then decide like you know what now that i don't have to do this i don't really want to do it anymore <laughs> and that's okay you don't have to yeah. beat yourself up over it because i think a lot of people get into that kind of mindset sometimes yeah i agree so from a success standpoint how would you define success and what's the success to you i think success is has more to do with living life on your terms. Mm-hmm. I mean, if you make a billion dollars a year, like I, I can tell you, I uh, like you'll get there and you'll think, no, man, I, I'm, I'm around these guys now that are making 10 billion. Like the money, like you will never, this part, part of the struggle as an entrepreneur, right? We, we are always moving the goal line, Yeah. right? Like we have a goal and we set it and then you get there. Like I, I remember when I was in corporate America and I was like, hey, when I start making a hundred thousand dollars a year, I'm going to buy a Rolex. What, what do I, this is my, this is my phone. What do I need a phone? What do I need a watch for? Yeah. This is my, phone. my phone is my watch. Right. And I, I remember I blew past that. And I remember thinking back like, Oh, I never got that Rolex. And I was like, I remember thinking, what the hell do I want a Rolex for? Yeah. <laughs> I mean, I don't, yeah. I'm, I'm more frugal than totally. that. Right? But it's just, you kind of set these goals and you get there. A lot of times you blow by them. If that motivates you to get there, then that's great. But, uh, but I'll say we always move the goal line. So I, I think that it's less about money, mm-hmm. even though money is very important. Um, 
than living life on your terms? Do you look back and say that, do you think you have regrets about things you should, shouldn't have done, or you should do more of, or should do less of, Mm -hmm. or are you happy with where you're at? And so, um, you know, that's more of success for me. So I look back and say, I'm living the life that I want. It's on my terms. I'm happy with my family situation. Am I being a good parent? I mean, those are things that we all struggle with, right? I'm not saying that I have found success or as much success as I would like in all those things, but I think about them a lot now. It's not necessarily about money in my bank account Uh anymore. So you're an achiever. So you're always moving the goal line. But with that said, do you feel like, do you feel like you're living successful? I think uh, by most people's standards or where what most people would think that, I mean, I have students and people that say, I, I want what I want to do what you've done. Mm-hmm. People say that, but I can tell you that sometimes when people say that it forces me to think, am I really happy where I'm at? Is this yeah. success? I, I remember some times where um, my wife, somebody had said that to me, like, I want to do what you've done. Like you're so successful. And I remember like five minutes later, I was in my, in my car at a stoplight with my wife. And I was like, and something had happened, something had been going on in our life that wasn't, was like a downer. I can't remember what it was. And I just remember sitting there and I turned to my wife and I was like, is this what success is? Cause I was like, yeah. I don't feel successful, you know? So, you know, I think, uh, I think success is a dotted line, right? No matter who you are, it's like, can you look back and say, I'm living my life to the fullest. I know people that probably make less money than me, but they're so happy, mm-hmm. right? They're just, they're living the life they want. It's not about the money for them. It's about enabling that experience. Um, and so I don't think it's a, I don't think it's a number in your bank account. I don't think it's necessarily, it's different for everybody basically, right? I think that's so powerful to share with people though, Mike, because you know people look up to successful people you know, people that they think are successful, people that they think are doing it, the teachers, the trainers, the winners. And it's just a good reminder that like we all have that feeling of like, we always want a little bit more, you know? Yeah. And that yeah. it's okay. We can all relate on that same front. From a habits perspective, what are some of your keystone habits, the things you do on a daily or weekly basis that, you know, lead to, uh, lead to your success? You know, I think uh, uh, this is one of the things I talked about on my podcast uh, that I recorded today about getting to do and having to do. And, um, you know, if if you kind of go back to success being what's more of what you want to do, right? Um, I'm at a point now where I have lunch with my wife almost every day. My son just started school again here uh, this week. And so um, I, I take him to school every day. We have dinner together every night. Like we've kind of, it, it wasn't always that way, right? And sometimes if I'm traveling or something, it's not that way. But for the most part, um, I get to live life kind of on my terms. And so those habits are things that are important to me because there used to be, well, hey, on Wednesday nights and Tuesday nights, well, sometimes Thursdays, like I'm not going to be home from dinner. I need to work late those nights. And it's just kind of predefined when I work late because, uh, you know, sometimes we equate like, this is one of the challenges I have from this work ethic part growing up is like, I look back and I'm like, well, if I work a lot, that means I'm working hard mm-hmm. and I'm, you know, everybody can tell my wife can tell maybe that I'm working hard for the, for the, for the family because I'm gone more. Mm-hmm. It's like, that's kind of bullshit. But yeah. I, I believe that for a long time. Right. And now it's like, how much can I be home? So I, 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 as my son's going back to school here, I'm trying to find a way like, 
up until this summer, I would usually get home at about seven, for example. Uh, but I don't necessarily start until 10 or 10.30 because I have some morning rituals and I have coffee with my wife in the morning, uh-huh. and all that stuff. And so now I'm pressing myself to say, well, why can't I leave at 4 p.m. every day, right? I'm yeah. not there yet. That's something I'm working on yeah. right now. Uh, but I think uh, back to your question about success or what defines success or what habits for me is constantly trying to push to say, how can I be here? I'm in my pointing. I'm in my office right now. Mm-hmm. How can I be here less? Yeah. How can you spend so, more time with family and the things that matter? Yeah. Or things I want, like what's wrong with going home and reading for an hour? I mean, yeah. it's like little things that I tend to like say, well, I'm going to work until it's dinner time. And then as soon as my son goes to bed, I'm going to go back to work. And it's like, am I just filling up void because it makes me feel more successful mm-hmm. or because it makes me feel that I'm working harder and, and so I guess that mindset shift that I'm trying to make is like working more is not, it's, it's more wasteful mm-hmm. than it is a definition of success. And that's like such a hard thing to balance, I feel like, because for my experience, yeah. like the, I think one of the main reasons why I have found any success is because I worked my butt off and I had like a complete crazy obsession with making it work. And when I don't have that crazy obsession and I'm not putting in those hours, I start to see things not have those results. And so I feel like this, it's almost like an addictive pull that if I'm not working that hard, I'm not seeing the results and therefore I'm not successful. And therefore like all of those things on why we want to be successful start coming out. And so it's hard to like pull yourself out and be present for the people that you care about because all of a sudden then you start losing that thing that gives you certainty within your business that you're really, really good at. Yeah, it's, it's a balance, right? I mean, I, I kind of look back now and sometimes and think, Hey, it's like a, it's like seasons, right? There's certain seasons. It could be times of the year. It could be times of the month, whatever. Like I have to work hard, but I, or maybe more time. Right. But what, what happened to me is for many, many years, I placed value on working hard all the time. or working longer hours mm-hmm. with working harder with being more of more value to people around me or my family or whatever. And I think the question, and I'm not there, right? I'm trying to, I'm still trying to figure these things out. The question is, is like, why can't I have a business? Like, I'll, I'll say this. I know this enough now. Mm-hmm. I have a bigger team now than I did in the past. Mm-hmm. I've given up more control than I have in the past. Mm-hmm. And those things allowed me growth. Mm-hmm. When I'm doing all the work, honestly, totally. my team is not as efficient. I'm in the way. I'm coming up with new ideas and they're like, what is it going to be today? Right? <laughs> And so the, the more I've been able to pull myself out and enable other people to do things, the better I've done and the more I enjoy my life. And so it's like, how do I do more of that? How do I bring on somebody in my team that can not just pay for themselves, but can double our business? Mm-hmm. Like, is that possible? Yeah. And so it's more things like thinking like that. How do I grow without me being the person that's doing it all? That's great. It's a good reminder. And when you find good people, it helps reinforce that. When you find yeah. bad people or you don't be a good leader, then it starts reinforcing it the other way. So that's such right. a good reminder that that's really what we're going for. So we've reached the end of the show here, the growth rapid fire round where the questions are quick, but the answers don't need to be. So tell us what's a book that's impacted your life the most or one you're excited about right now? Sure. I'll, you know, I'll, I'll, uh, I'll continue to stick with attraction, right? It, Cause it did change. It's like we've talked about a lot here today. Uh, and it really was the catalyst for a lot of what we talked about here today to move you down that path. Now, I'll tell pe- people that are that if you haven't read it yet, 
it's a little bit of a snoozer. Like it's not like a, a exciting book. It's more textbooky. Mm-hmm. But what I what I found value in, honestly, is the first time I read it. Um, you, you'll see in the book if you haven't read it. They kind of define two leadership roles as a visionary and an implementer or an integrator. Like it's effectively like a, a CEO and a COO is really what it comes down to. And I felt a ton of comfort in that, like, because honestly, I'd struggled a lot with my wife. So she's really my COO or our integrator for a long time. And she's really good at doing things, but didn't necessarily find joy. Yeah. And I found joy in coming up with ideas that I'm throwing over the fence for her to implement. And so when I kind of read it, I was like, this is like us, like, this is me and this is you, but you don't want to be that role. And so it just kind of said like, Hey, I need to find somebody else to do that role. Mm -hmm. And I found a lot of guilt, honestly, that like, I'm not necessarily the best to execute things. I'm actually better. I'm pretty, I'm, I kind of have a straddle role where I do both, but I found a lot of joy in defining like, Hey, this is, I shouldn't feel bad that I can't do these things. I just have to find that person to do it for me. So that's big from an inspiration standpoint, (laughs) who are some of your mentors, the people that you learned from or looked up to and how did they influence your career? Yeah, I would say, um, you know, there's a lot of people that, that I learned from. Uh, I'd have to go back to, um, to my parents, my grandparents, my mom, my dad, all these people around me, my stepfather, just people that were willing to work hard. And I was kind of reminded of that. I said, I, I was up there this summer for actually for, for several weeks and just kind of reminded of how much they sacrificed for, my bro- me and my brothers and sisters and just that kind of hardworking mentality. So I'd have to go back to say my parents and my grandparents. That's great. And from a purpose perspective, what drives you to live your best life every day? Um, I would say my son. My son is 12. He just turned 12. He just started uh, school here. And I really want him to understand the opportunities that he has the opportunities weren't different for me when I was 12. I just didn't see them as clearly. Mm-hmm. And I think, uh, you know, I know that if I can be a, a good father, if I can teach him the lessons of entrepreneurship um, and there's a lot of ways to make money that are not necessarily the traditional path, that's the life that I want him to live. And I take those lessons and I apply them into my podcast and my coaching and anybody that I talk to because I, I truly believe that with every ounce of my being is that... Yeah. Um, the more we can be self-sufficient, the more we can care about helping other people around us, that the better world that we'll live in. It's been amazing talking with you, Mike. This has been so much fun. Where can more people find out about you and uh, potentially get in touch? Yeah, you could. Uh, I, I'm, I'm probably on Facebook more than I should be. So definitely you can connect with me on Facebook uh, or Instagram. And of course, uh, you can always find me at flipnerd.com. Awesome. Well, we'll include those in the show notes as always. And thank you so much. And I look forward to the next time we get to hang out. Thanks for the opportunity, buddy. Thank you for listening to the Investor Mindset Podcast. If you like what you heard, make sure to rate, review, subscribe, and share it with a friend. Head over to theinvestormindset.com to join the Insider Club, where we share tools and strategies from the top investors and entrepreneurs on how to take it to the next level.